Please turn with me in the Gospel according to John, chapter 1. We studied the opening 18 verses, which are the introduction or prologue to the Gospel account, and now John begins the story, begins with the testimony of John the Baptist. We want to look tonight at verses 19 through 34, and those are the ones that we read from John chapter 1. John 1 at verse 19, we hear the God-breathed scriptures. Now this is the testimony of John. By the way, again, the gospel writer John is not the John here mentioned, but John the Baptist as we call him. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you, that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Let's bow before our Lord and ask him for his help. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the testimony that you've given so clearly in your word. And yet, Lord, we acknowledge that of our own nature we are dull. We cannot even see the the glory and the wonder of it. We pray that you would help us. We pray that you would visit us in the preaching of your word. pray that we would see in deeper ways what a gift we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. pray that you glorify your name among us. 
Pray, Lord, that we will see the treasure we hold, that we might want to proclaim him to others. Bless the proclamation of the Lord Jesus to our hearts. In his name we pray, amen. As we get started tonight, I want you to ponder for a moment how overly confident our culture is, and we often are, about our ability to know the truth, to discover the truth. Our culture often assumes that our own intuition is a safe and a reliable guide, and so if you, if you think something, if you feel something, then you can be sure it's all right. So you just need to do what feels right to you, what feels good to you, or you just need to be, need to be true to yourself, or you need to get in touch with the inner light within. Or if our culture suggests we need something outside of ourselves, then there's an appeal to things like, especially right now, a constant appeal to science, to science, to science, even regarding moral issues. Won't you let science decide? In our own lives, too, though, we, we often think that regarding the gospel that it's obvious, we just know it, or regarding different decisions in our lives and our own intuition is sufficient. Tonight, in, this, in these words of the Gospel of John, we're confronted with the reality that, that we would not even recognize the Savior of the world if God didn't tell us. That we wouldn't even recognize the Son of God among us if, if God didn't tell us. We wouldn't know our, our need of Him if God didn't tell us. But God is pleased to tell us. And, and we have now that testimony in this, this book, this, this word from heaven, this, these scriptures. And it's a reminder tonight that we are to be a people of this book. Our lives are to be embedded and wrapped around and submissive to this book. We don't know anything but from this book of the Lord. And so we need to be a people of the book, staking our lives upon it. And it demands our greatest gratitude, too, that God has spoken so clearly and so abundantly. What love he's lavished upon us that he should give us not a sentence or two, which would have been enough. But he's given us this massive book of revelation. The section here before us tonight in John's gospel is all about the testimony of John. It begins in verse 19. Now, this is the testimony. This is the witness of John. And John, the gospel writer, a different John, who's writing this book, remember he tells us at the end of the book, I've mentioned that before, he tells us at the end of the book his, his goal and purpose. He says that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. And so John is not interested in writing an encyclopedic entry of some bare facts. You might know a little bit about history. He's an evangelist. He's Going for the heart. He's saying, I'm writing these things so you can live. And his story begins here with the testimony, the witness of John the Baptist. So that we can know the identity of Jesus, our Savior. We can know our great need. And in knowing, we can have life. We can have peace. We can have joy. We can go forward this week rejoicing. We know the Savior. And if we see that God has brought us to know the Lamb of God through the announcement, through the revelation of God, then as we look upon the unbelieving world, we should be conscious all the time that they're not just going to arrive at it. They're not going to wake up one morning and and suddenly say, hey, there's a Savior. It's only through revelation. It's only through the announcement. It's only as this is published and made known that anybody can know Jesus. 
Let's look tonight at John's testimony here as he points to Christ. Let's notice in the first place that John points away from himself. And then secondly, that John's witness points to Jesus as the Lamb of God. First of all, John, in his witness to the Jewish leaders here, he points away from himself. In verse 19, the religious leaders here, or a delegation from them, have come to John the Baptist. Now, in, in, in this gospel account of John, the writer John begins at the end of John the Baptist's ministry. He's coming out to the climax. This is the end. And so we learn other things about John the Baptist's ministry from the other gospel writers. But, but Jesus has already apparently been baptized by John. Jesus has apparently already gone back into the, into the wilderness and been tempted and so forth. John has been ministering for quite a while, and, and, and there's this... This great expectation that has come in the land of Israel. Luke tells us there was expectation because after all these years of being no prophet, right? There's no prophet since Malachi. There suddenly appeared this strange preacher and this baptizer. And he's talking about the wrath of God and end times. We're talking eschatology, that a, a crisis moment has come. And so people from various walks of life among the Jews are all stirred up and people are asking, Luke tells us, is this the Christ? Has the moment come? Who is this? There's a surge of spiritual concern. There's an intensity of interest here. There's a sense that God is visiting his people. And so these religious leaders in Jerusalem, send a delegation to, to investigate, a fact-finding mission, to go ask this John, who is he? John, where do you stand all of us in this great story of God's redemption? Who are you claiming to be? Who are you claiming to be? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the anointed one? All three of those words, remember, mean the same thing. Messiah, Christ, anointed one. It's just the Hebrew, the Greek, and the English. Are you the one that, that the whole hope of Israel is fixed upon? And John gives the most emphatic denial. Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. That's pretty forthright. If you ever watch any hearings in front of the Congress as they call people on the Capitol Hill to testify, you, you might be a bit dismayed by the Ability of those testifying to hedge their answers. Congressmen say, give us a yes or no. Instead, they give a convoluted answer all over the place. You're not sure if they're affirming or denying or what they're doing. John categorically denies, unconditionally, I am not the Christ. One writer says John the Baptist is portrayed here as the ideal witness to Christ. He's made the normative image of the Christian preacher, apostle, and missionary with a self-effacing answer. It's not me. It's not me. Your hope is not set on me. It's on another. Later, John will say he must increase. I must decrease. Never was about me. So John will take none of the glory. But they're not satisfied. They said, then are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? And they ask that because the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi, his prophecy ends... With this word of God, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So the last prophet they heard, the last word he spoke, was Elijah's coming. And so now they say, are you Elijah? 
And despite the fact that Jesus actually calls John Elijah, John denies that he's Elijah. Probably because in the Jews' minds, the Elijah they're thinking of is either a reincarnation of the literal Elijah, or at least he, he bears some, some messianic weight. He, 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 he has part of the glory of the Messiah, and, and John is saying, I'm not any part of your salvation. And so they ask, then, are you the prophet? And that, that question goes all the way back to Moses, because when Moses is coming to the end of his service for Israel, he's going to die in Deuteronomy 18, he, he tells God's people, look at in the future, you don't go talk to witch doctors or anything. No, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. So Israel had this great expectation of the prophet, the prophet. And they asked John, are you the prophet? And again, John apparently sees that they have some messianic ideas tied up with this. And he is insisting, I am not the Messiah. No. Every messianic title he refuses. And then they say, well, then you got to tell something positive. What are we going to take back to Jerusalem? What do you claim you are then? And he says, well, if you want to tie me to an Old Testament prophecy, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Out of Isaiah 40, where God was telling his people in captivity, make a path, I'm coming and I'm leading my people home. The Lord is coming, and I'm just the voice crying out to make a way and to get ready. Fix the potholes, wrap up the construction projects, make a clean path. The Lord comes to his people, and he leads them home. But you see, John is saying Israel's a mess. Israel's been in spiritual decline. The hearts of God's people are unprepared. So I have had this ministry of calling people to repentance And saying, make a clean road, the Lord is coming. That's still an important word for us tonight, isn't it? That we can't know our Lord Jesus unless we're prepared to to rid ourselves of sin. John was calling the people to grieve over their sin, to confess it before the Lord and be ready for the coming of the Lord himself. But the Jewish leaders still are not satisfied. Then they say, well, then why are you baptizing? Not the Christ, not Elijah not the prophet, then who are you to baptize? Who are you to baptize? Because they recognize that John is baptizing connection with the end times. John has been declaring the the wrath of God, the judgment of God. You need to escape, you need to flee, and in connection with that, he's holding out this washing related to being cleansed and being saved from the wrath of God. And they're saying, who are you to do that? And what does John do? John says, look it, you're focused on the wrong thing. I'm just the forerunner. I'm just the announcer. I'm just baptizing with water. I'm just baptizing with water. It's, it's a sign. I'm not cleansing anyone. It's a sign that people need to get washed. People need to look for the one who can cleanse them. Behind me comes the one with power to baptize with the Spirit. I... The one who comes is so great, I'm not worthy to be his lowest, most menial slave and to untie his sandals and to wash his feet. He is so great, I could not even serve as his lowest servant. You stare at me, you send a delegation here to me, but you know what? 
you're missing it. There's already one who stands among you. He's already come. He's already here. And he's your deliverer. He's the Messiah. And so John says, in effect, you, you, need, you need an answer to bring home to the church leaders. Tell them, number one, that John's ministry is more important than they ever imagined. Than they ever imagined. Because he is crying out that behind him comes the Lord. But tell them, number two, you are focused on the wrong man. Take your eyes off John and look around you. Already the Lord is standing here. That's the answer. What a testimony. What a testimony here. And then, and then that first part ends with the proclamation that these things were, were done in Bethabara or Bethany. We're not even sure exactly where this Bethany was beyond the Jordan. But, but John, the gospel writer, is telling us this was clearly a moment in history at a particular place. This was a testimony God gave to his people very clearly. I am not the Christ, but the Lord comes. Witness still stands here for us today. A witness that turns us from all mere humans to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at this first section, we can ask two questions of ourselves. First of all, do I ever give to people or anything the place that belongs to Christ alone? John's making clear that that there's not a partnership here. That the one who's coming is, is not part deliverer and there's other part deliverers and they all cooperate. John says, I have no place. Don't don't put any messianic titles on me. I'm not your Messiah. Every human heart knows it needs a Messiah. Right? I mean, whatever you're into, or whatever your neighbor's into, there's a Messiah, right? If, If they're into cars... Just look on YouTube and find out who the car guru is. If, if they're into health and dieting, look on YouTube and find out who the, the health guru is. If, if they're into a religion, I mean, it goes on and on. Whether they gather around the Pope, whether they gather around some celebrity, people even turn preachers into messiahs, don't they? Some celebrity preacher, very gifted man. And, and sometimes people, they, they sing the glories of the preacher and not of the Christ and and if you say anything negative against that preacher and his theology, oh, watch out. Very upset. Everybody senses that they have a need and they're hoping that in someone they're going to find the thing that gives their life meaning. It's going to give them understanding. It's going to give them deliverance. They all want a guru. Do we give that glory to any person? Have you such a guru in your life other than Christ? Well, there's a second question. Not just, am I not giving that place to someone else? But this question, am I also denying that place to myself? Have I learned to say with John the Baptist, I am not the Christ? I confess, I do not deny, I am not the Christ. When it comes to our standing before God in righteousness, do we carve out a little place for ourselves and 
our good works? Or do we say to ourselves, I am not the Christ. I am not my Savior. Not not a crumb of my own righteousness have I to contribute. I am not the Christ. When it comes for strength for doing our work or serving in the church, do we say, it's not of me, I am not the Christ? When it comes to people who are looking for help, do we say to them, I am not your Savior? When it comes to our own children and their needs, and we feel like they ask of us of so much, maybe as a mother running to us and running to us, do we keep saying to ourselves, I am not their Savior? Because there's a great joy in saying that and joining John the Baptist and saying, oh no, this is not on me. I don't carry the weight of the world. I can't wash away sin. And I can't be your deliverer and I can't be my deliverer. I am not the Christ. But then John, after he points away from himself, notice secondly tonight that he points straight to Jesus, straight to Jesus, the Lamb of God, Look at the second half here, beginning at verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an introduction. The Messiah being introduced to the world. Introductions are sometimes hard to get right. Introductions, you know, sometimes people, they study, they, they even write something out sometimes. If at a conference they're going to introduce the speaker, they list all his books and all the things he's done and so forth. John the Baptist nails the introduction, that one simple, glorious statement. It is a monumental moment. You know, we, we're used to this language, the Lamb of God, we're, we're used to this story and so forth, but you have to understand This is the climactic moment of of world history, right? Because now stepping onto the stage of world history for the first time, I introduce to you the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God. He's unveiling that Jesus Christ is everything. All of our intention should be riveted upon this one single individual and what he does to save us. And here at the very outset of his ministry, isn't it amazing that, that our God and Father sees to it that the very, at the very first introduction of Jesus to the world, God is telling us what he comes to do to be the Lamb of God who takes away sin. I mean, the fact that there are so many churches they have who have utterly lost the gospel. They talk about all kinds of things in the pulpit except sin and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus is baffling. Involved in all kinds of social programs, but you don't hear about sin and forgiveness through atonement. How can that be when the very first introduction of the Savior is that he's the Lamb who's come to take away sin? It's the sin bearer who answers to our deepest need. This is his central work. And God is stating it clearly that we might flee to him. And John is grabbing all the attention of of his audience and saying, here he is. You have this great sense of your need. Here's the answer. 
but a key moment. We landed a man on the moon, right? He had a prepared phrase to speak. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, right? But, but here, as a man lands not on the moon, but the Son of God upon the earth, God has a witness in the lips of John the Baptist for this momentous occasion. What a long wait it's been since Genesis 3.15 when God had said that, that he was going to give to the woman, right, of, of the woman, one who had crushed the serpent's head. That was the, that was the first gospel promise we call the mother promise, the first gospel. And, and the whole rest of the Bible now is the outworking of that singular promise, a son of the woman who will save us. And what a, what a long story across all those pages of the Old Testament. Century upon century. And here stands the last of the Old Testament prophets. John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet. He stands on the threshold to introduce the New Testament. Here he is, the Savior of the world. And so the whole Old Testament reaches its climax. For centuries, God had been instructing his people what they needed and what they needed most in this world. He was telling us it was not a nice house or a good job or good friends or a healthy body. What you need most is covering for your sin. And the lamb had been the instrument of of teaching in a big way, right? Think of the Passover lamb in in the land of Egypt. God God told his people to, to take a lamb and to slaughter that lamb and wipe that blood, sprinkle that blood on their, their doorposts. And angel of death was coming over and you're only safe beneath that blood, only safe behind that blood. You deserve to die every bit as much as the Egyptians. And then there were the lambs offered every day at the temple. Two lambs offered every day on behalf of Israel, morning and evening sacrifices. God was telling his people, after blood was spilled, day after day after day after day, you've got a sin problem. The greatest obstacle between you and God is your sin. And yet all those animal sacrifices remove not a single sin. And God was saying to his people, you can't provide the lamb. You bring lambs up to my temple, another, 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 and you haven't provided the lamb who can take away your sin. But God had also taught his people a lesson back at Genesis 22 when Abraham brings Isaac up to sacrifice him in obedience to God and God stops Abraham. Remember Isaac had asked on the way up the mountain, you know, we got the, we got the fire, we got the wood, but where's the, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And, and Abraham had said, the Lord will provide. And now as the angel stops Abraham from sacrificing Isaac, there's a ram caught in the thicket. And Abraham went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. So all this teaching about the lamb, all this preparation, all this waiting for the Messiah, years have gone by, decades gone by, centuries have gone by. And now the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And by the Spirit, John knows this is the moment to announce to the world 
the lamb not of man, the lamb not that we provided, but the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. All that the Old Testament had foreshadowed, all that the Old Testament had proclaimed and promised is all gathered up now in this one singular phrase and laid upon Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one provided by God's own hand. This is God's great love towards us. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, 1 John 4. Here's God's love for you. Here's God's love for you, a lamb from God to do it. What a wonderful thing for us sinners who don't deserve it, for us sinners who can't wash ourselves clean, for us sinners who, who can't bring a sacrifice of of 800 years of good works to take away a single sin, utterly helpless. And onto the scene comes Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God for our weary souls, God's donation to us. God has provided the Lamb. He comes to bear that penalty, that curse. He comes as the sinless one, the spotless Lamb, to die in our place. God could have done the opposite, could have sent us the judge to take away sinners from the earth, right? That was the other option. For God just to have sent the judge to take away sinners from the earth, but instead God sent his son to be the sacrifice, to restore sinners to himself. God gives us the clearest testimony so that we need not doubt. Do you doubt tonight whether Jesus is your Savior? Do you doubt tonight whether he's enough for your sins? What would you say? Would you say, I just wish God would tell me clearly? There isn't a clearer witness in the scriptures than this. The Lamb of God The Lamb sent to you from God who takes away the sin, not just of the Jews, but of the world. And what is God saying in this if he isn't saying, fall upon him, trust in him, hope in him. He's for you. A Savior God has provided. And you say, but I don't know. John says, I did not know. Verse 31. John says, I did not know him, verse 33. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John's saying, I, the last, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, I didn't know. But the one who sent me told me, the one you see the Spirit descend on, this is the one anointed the Christ. Who can do it? And so, as we know from the other gospel accounts, it was there at Christ's baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, that the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, and the voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. 
And John says, therefore I know. And therefore you know. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. If he was just a man, it wouldn't be enough. But he's the Son of God, able to bear the weight of God's eternal wrath and to restore you to God. He's uniquely fitted. He's filled with the Spirit. He's empowered with the Spirit in which he'll engage this ministry. He'll be raised from the dead by the Spirit. He'll ascend into heaven and he'll pour out the Spirit upon you to give you a new heart and to cleanse your hearts that you might know God. And you can know it. Not simply because John the Gospel writer wrote it. And you can know it not simply because John the Baptist said it. But you can know it because these men bear witness from God. The one who sent me. He said so, John says. So you can know for sure. What a blessing to know. In a world of uncertainty, things are ever changing and people are wondering, you know, what, what's next? What's artificial intelligence? Where's this world going to go? And what do we really know? And the things we thought we know we discover with, with greater scientific investigation, we didn't really know at all. And can we know anything? We can know. Because God has spoken in his word. You can know your greatest problem is sin. And you can know the solution has been provided from God himself, the Lamb of God. And if you know that, then you can rejoice and be glad. That God has done for you what you can never do for yourself. If you know that, you can, you can have assurance and be confident. When you fall into sin and repent, you can know that God forgives. And as you look at this world and, and all of their confusion and all the futile searching that goes on, you can know that That what they don't know, you know. So you want the word to go out. You want preachers to go forward. You want to be a witness in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your community. You want to tell people, here it is. What you don't know and what you can't find out through your searching, God has told you. Here he is. One singular person is the answer to all of your problems. One single person, Jesus Christ. With power from on high, the Son of God, baptizing with the Holy Spirit. How glad we can be. Isn't it good to know? May God grant us certainty through his word. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your bold and clear revelation. We pray, Lord, that we might have our confidence strengthened since it's always under attack and the evil one is always wanting to make us doubt. We pray, Lord, we'd be strong in the Lord, that we would take you at your word, that we don't have to bring a few of our own lambs, but you have provided the only sacrifice and the complete sacrifice to take away all of our sin. Father, as we rejoice in this news and find our comfort here, encourage our hearts to love our neighbors and to want them to know the singular solution to all of their troubles. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
354 is our song of response. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. 354, let's stand to sing the five stanzas.